Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket, the podcast brought to you by Log Rocket. Log Rocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it free at logrocket.com. My name's Chris. You may have heard my previous episode on Pod Rocket about TRPC. I'm happy to say I'll be joining Pod Rocket as a part-time host, and I'm super excited. With us today is Josh Combo, who is an indie hacker and educator. Josh was actually on Pod Rocket back in 2021 and joins us today to share what he has been up to lately. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Josh? Why, hello there. Thanks for the invitation. I've been a software developer. I started tinkering in like 2007, 2008, working as a developer since the mid-2010s. And yeah, a few years ago, around the start of the pandemic, I realized that I had this thing that I had wanted to do for a long time, which was to create my own educational content because I had been blogging for a few years and teaching at a local coding bootcamp and realized that it was like I would see things that other course creators were doing and just thought it seemed like so much fun. So that's been the journey that I'm on now is creating online courses, self-paced, interactive online courses. And it's been a lot of fun. Well, I just want to say I'm a big fan of your content. All the stuff you put out is super high quality. I love like the little clay version of yourself on your site. That thing's amazing. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> I know you have a course out called The Joy of React. Can you cover what's in that course and what kind of major takeaways you want for engineers who take it? Yeah, fundamentally, it's a beginner React course. The idea is that when I was building the course, I was keeping in mind recent bootcamp grads, people who had tinkered with React for a month or two, but hadn't really gotten to the point where they felt it made sense. Like with anything, right? There's always that period of, okay, you've gone through the docs, you can follow along, but when you try to use this on your own project or when you try to go a little bit deeper, you realize just how much of it still doesn't make sense. It's a beginner course for people who have tinkered with it a little bit, uh, but who don't feel like they've really gotten the hang of it. And I wanted to make this course because I mentioned I used to teach at a bootcamp and I prepared the React curriculum for that bootcamp. So it's something that I have quite a bit of experience teaching. And it's just such an advantage when you've taught something in person, because especially like I did it for four or five cohorts. So I saw multiple groups of people come through and I noticed just they would hit the same walls <laughs> or drive over the same speed bumps. So it was a matter of, I think I can build something that will address the concerns people have. But yeah, that's that's fundamentally it. It's, uh, you know, I have two courses. I have one on CSS and one on React. And they're both sort of the same idea, which is noticing in my own professional life that, well, with CSS more than React, but with both of them to a degree, there was just like a real, there were holes in people's understanding and holes in my own understanding. Like <laughs> it's something that I spent quite a few years filling in myself. So that's the idea is to try to create something that will fill in those holes and give people more of a, you know, a robust mental model is the way that I like to phrase it, like an understanding of what all this stuff is and why it works the way it does. I know the original version of the React docs were kind of minimal and a lot of people got super confused, especially with the React hooks and dealing with all the foot guns that it comes with. But I know with the new docs that they just released finally, it definitely covers a lot more so people can kind of have a better understanding when they're launching their React quote unquote career. So I'm curious about your thoughts on the future of the React, React development because we have new competitors now. We have like SolidJS, Svelte Kits out now, and then now with the React server components with like Next.js and then also Remix. I'm curious like how that comes into play and do you think React is still a good choice today? And just like general thoughts around that. Uh, and first, actually, I want to say that the React, the new React docs are incredible. And I was so happy to see that they're finally out of beta because I know for a long time I was sending people there and telling them to ignore the fact that it was in beta. Uh, it's a great resource. I do think it's true. Like historically, there was the JavaScript fatigue was the term a few years ago because it seemed like every week there was a new framework and people were constantly throwing everything out and starting over with a new stack. I actually think it's because that was the pattern for so long. 
it's easy to assume that will continue and that React will be a similar sort of flash in the pan. But I do think just based on how many years it's already been around, if you look at the numbers, right, like in terms of NPM downloads or GitHub stars or anything, maybe not GitHub stars because (laughs) that does tend to be like a really specific snapshot of the people who are most online. But in terms of like maybe the React developer tools installations on Chrome is a better metric. There's still a ton of people using it and that number continues to grow. I don't really think in terms of other JavaScript frameworks, I mean, I think that there's always going to be a place for frameworks like Svelte and Vue. I think that they're always going to be, and frankly, I really, I built a thing with Vue a couple of years ago and thought it was great. So I do think that there's, it's unfair to say that like React is the only option, but I think it's going to maintain its position as the most commonly used option for at least a few more years. And so in terms of like whether I think it's a good time to learn it, yeah, absolutely. In terms of, because it's true, like so much is changing right now. If we see what's happening with Next, uh, there's like this whole new architecture, right? React was for so long, it was like a client-side framework that had this optional, like you could render it on the server if you want, but really that was, it's sort of the same thing, just doing a bit of the work ahead of time. Whereas like now, there's this idea of server components, which is essentially like an entirely different way, a different type of component. And it does seem like we're in a tumultuous period I'm interested to see how it shakes out. Like, I do think the biggest question to me is like next 12 to next 13 is such a big jump. And it reminds me of how Angular 1 to Angular 2 was such a big jump and how like Angular lost a lot of uh, momentum because of that. From what I'm not an Angular developer, but from what I remember, it was really hard to migrate from 1 to 2, whereas with next, they've created a really nice migration path. But it's true, like with Remix coming along, I don't know what the go-to React meta framework will be in a couple of years. But I think as long as you're, you get comfortable with the underlying technologies, like if you get comfortable with React server components, it's likely that any tool that builds on top of React is going to leverage those. So it shouldn't be too bad to switch from one to another. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if it's going to be confusing because if you think about a lot of the production apps today, they're not using React server components. Everyone's probably just doing create React app or some kind of spa architecture. But now when you go to the React docs, it's like server components. And they're like, I just have a spa because my company wrote this six years ago. <laughs> so it's what, where do I go for that specific kind of resource, right? So now there's this divide of spa versus RSEs. And I'm making big assumptions here, but in my mind, like I can imagine if I was a beginner and I joined some company and they're not doing what I'm seeing on the site, I'd be confused. And do I go back to like older tutorials that were still using Create React app and all that stuff? So it's just like one kind of thing that's always been like in the back of my mind since it started happening. It is a really good point. And I do think that there's, it's interesting to see, like this is with anything, right? Something becomes popular. And then over the course of a few years, like the culture changes, the way people do things change. But most people can't afford to throw everything out and restart. There's still a bunch of React applications using Flux, which was the thing that predated Redux. I think that it's always going to be, and I do think this is, it'll be interesting to see how successful the React team is in convincing the community that full stack React is the way to go. Like moving people away from having a single page application and doing everything on the client. Because it's true, there's so much existing stuff out there that is not going to be easy to migrate I think it's an open question as to like how common these things will actually be in the future. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I want to bring us to this next topic. And this is actually an article I've like referenced the team members before, which is pretty funny. So you wrote this blog called Common Beginner Mistakes with React. Can you kind of walk through some of the things you've seen? What do you feel are some misconceptions or concerns about React today? Yeah, I mean, this gets back to my experience teaching at the bootcamp because it is, in fact, a, a big part of that blog post was just trying to think back and remember, like, what are the things that I would 
I, I had to explain them so often that I actually got like a bit of a, a habit or like a pattern for how to explain something. Most of them are things that I imagine are unsurprising to people who have some React experience. Things like forgetting to put a key when you're mapping over an array, trying to understand why if you call a state setter function, why the state hasn't immediately changed in the next line of code. It doesn't change the variable that you've defined. It's the little gotchas like that. You know, this was just, it's a blog post where I wanted to go broad, so I wanted to cover a lot of the more common things. The trade-off with that is that you can't really go deep. So <laughs> it was actually tricky for me because I wanted to like actually explain, not just here's the problem and here's a band-aid to fix it, but let's understand why this is happening. You can't really do both unless you plan on creating. That's what the course is, <laughs> right? Like it's a deeper and wider exploration of these concepts. And I think that for the large part, like we're talking about how everything has changed recently, at least in terms of the people I've been speaking to, for the most part, people are still hitting the same sort of beginner frustrations. Like those are still the most common questions I get with the, maybe the exception is use effect and all the gotchas that come along with that. That's relatively new. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience. With LogRocket, you can find and solve issues faster, improve conversion and adoption, and spend more time building a better product. The favorite part I like is the evaluating with zero. I've been on so many mm. websites where you just see a number zero sitting there. And for a while, it didn't really click in my head. I was like, I guess maybe there's just a typo. But then I remember that they're just, it's just rendering zero because it won't go past that because it's a false value. That's, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when you get comfortable with React and you start being able to see the mistakes you make used to make in the wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One last question to kind of round off this topic. Is there like any general advice you have for beginners today for potentially anyone listening right now or later in the future? The annoying answer is that it depends, right? It depends who you are, what prior experience you're coming with. One of the things I do in my course, which is controversial, is I don't teach TypeScript. So we focus exclusively on JavaScript. And it's not that I think TypeScript is bad. I think TypeScript is great. But I've learned that trying to learn both, if you don't have experience with either, is like a recipe for being completely overwhelmed. <laughs> so I think that, and similarly, I think the learning path here is to get reasonably comfortable with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, then look at something like React, and then look at something like TypeScript on top. Or you could do HTML, CSS, JavaScript, then TypeScript, then React. I think that's also a perfectly valid order. But that would be what I would say, is that you want to make sure that you're not biting off too much in any single bite. Try to keep the stuff that you're learning at one time to a little bit more of a manageable level. And I do think that if you're already comfortable with TypeScript and you start learning React, then for sure, learn React with TypeScript because you already know that. But if you don't know either, I would do them sequentially rather than trying to learn both at once. Yeah, I agree. I've talked to some people who are trying to learn React and TypeScript at the same time. And if anyone has ever done React with TypeScript, you will likely run into really gnarly type errors and you won't really have any idea how to solve them. <laughs> and then people are like, I hate TypeScript. So then it like, leaves a bad taste in their mouth. And like, I'm never going to TypeScript again, JavaScript forever. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think that's super great advice. This is something I've given a talk before where I compare CSS to TypeScript because I think they're both similar in one important way which is the learning curve is it starts off really gentle. Like with CSS, you can do like color red, background color blue. Like it, you have these simple declarations that create the result that you're after and it's nice and clean. And with TypeScript, it's, oh, I can, this thing is a string. So let me add colon string and this function takes these parameters. Let me annotate them. But then once you get beyond that, <laughs> with TypeScript, you get those tooltips that have an error message and the error message requires scrolling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, always, that's always a bad sign. 
with CSS, it's all the like weird layout stuff and the bugs and trying to understand how all the different things fit together. Uh, but both of these things, I think that developers often, because the learning curve is so gentle at first, it, you start moving along and you're like, okay, this makes sense. And then you hit that wall of things get so much harder. And for a lot of developers, that's where their learning stops. And that's part of why I made the CSS course was like, okay, let's get, because so many developers that I knew understood the basics of CSS, but stopped once they hit that, like the sloping up of the learning curve and everything beyond there was just remained mysterious. And honestly, for TypeScript, I'm not that far beyond that point myself. There's still points where you're working with React context and you're trying to, or you have some weird polymorphism thing. And it's like, I don't even know where to start with this error message. <laughs> so it definitely takes a while. Yeah. So this next thing we're going to talk about, which is something I've just been dying to talk to you about with, is the end of front-end development. So it's no secret to everyone. Like, I can't wake up and walk five steps without hearing the word AI or chat GPT or whatever is going to take our jobs. I wanted to just get a quick summary in your words, like what does this address about the future of web development? Like what are your general thoughts about that? Yeah. So the idea with the blog post was I was seeing a lot of the discourse on Twitter from people who were saying, people who had, there's a couple different ways that I've seen this. One of them is someone plays with GPT-4, chat GPT, one of these tools and their takeaway is, my goodness, if things continue to accelerate at this rate, like it's GPT-4 is so much more impressive than GPT-3. And that was only a couple of months ago. So you kind of extrapolate out and you imagine like in a year or two, this is going to be able to do everything that I can do as a developer. And then I think the other take that I've been seeing, which is amplifying this, is the people working in AI or who have AI startups who are sharing like, in six months, we won't need developers anymore. Because, Like, you know, it, the same sort of take, but from that perspective of someone actually working on this thing. And the reason I felt compelled to write this blog post is I didn't like how certain everyone was seeming about this because I don't, I, I've, I'm not an AI expert, but I've learned enough just from experimentation and reading about it because I was like everyone else curious about it. And it isn't clear at all to me that that's the way it's going to go. Like certainly the things that it can do are really impressive. The most, the most common examples we're seeing, like there's that joke website where you give ChatGPT a, a photo of a sketch that you took and you, in the photo, there's a button, you click the button, it gives you a joke. You feed that into this magical AI machine and it spits out an HTML document that has the JavaScript wired up to actually generate the joke. But then you look at the code that it produced and it's so, so, so different. <laughs> like it's, it's so far removed from the work that we actually do as front-end developers. And I think that, you know, it's impressive, but there's so much more to our job than what I have seen the AI do. And it's not always evident that like the pattern continues forever. Like certainly it's gotten a lot more impressive. The analogy that I thought of recently that I like for this is if you had asked people in like 1970, a year after we landed on the moon, how long they thought it would take us to get to Mars, they probably would have said like a few years. We just got to like, you know, you, you see that they can get to the moon and you assume that getting to Mars is just, you know, look at how far we've come. We can get that further. Scale brings complexities of its own. And the thing that I, I'm, the reason I'm skeptical about this is that you know, the AI tools are really, really good at predicting text. And that's really useful for like short code snippets. But with larger projects, I just, I have a hard time believing that it will understand the nuances, given that it doesn't have any way, at least as far as I know, of validating its assumptions. So if it thinks that it works a certain way, it doesn't really have any way to, it can't run the code, see the result, and then adapt it. Like you can run through that loop with it, which works well for smaller snippets. I think we're still very far away from the future of a non-developer sits down with a chatbot, explains that it wants like Uber for cats or whatever startup idea people have, 
And in a short couple of hours, back in, having a back and forth dialogue, it spits out production ready, secure, accessible, full stack application with the database and everything else. That just to me feels that's the not just going to Mars, but going to another solar system. I don't know how, and I could be wrong. Like the thing that I don't want to be hypocritical, I'm irritated by the confidence people have, and I am not confident in my own assumption here. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we are pretty close to that happening. It's just from everything I've seen so far. Nothing I've seen so far has made me uh, believe that that's the future that we are only a couple of years away from. You need real people to interact with other people. Like you can't just have, for example, a non-technical person just type into a prompt and just assume everything's going to work. Because when they don't work, how do you fix that, right? Sure, you can maybe input more prompts, but if it doesn't work at the day, then you're really, you're pretty much still at square one. What other thing is, a lot of companies have proprietary code in their own in the way they do things. Like ChatGPT has no idea of like your architecture and you know how your company does stuff. So it can't really dive in and be like, this is how you would integrate with your own custom backend or anything. So it's for me, unless maybe it's just like a content site beyond that, I don't really see like true use cases of very complex systems, especially when they're not open source. And for that reason alone, I don't think it will ever penetrate that market. Maybe companies will have their own self-hosted version of ChatGPT to integrate into their own system, which actually be kind of cool because I just, I think that'd be great because if you've ever been in an internal system with little to no documentation, if someone could tell me how things work, that would be amazing. But the whole person aspect, empathy and all that stuff, that could never be replaced by anything like ChatGPT. But I, I agree people speak with such certainty and it, and it kind of sucks because for people that want to break into the space, it's very demoralizing, right? Because when like you brought up that picture, someone that's new would be like, I oh, well, I didn't know how to make that. So does that mean I should just stop trying? And I know in your article, it pretty much just says, you don't know what the future is. So just like, why not keep doing what you're doing and learning because you truly enjoy it? And I think that's like a very good message to like end on, right? I get that question all the time. It's like, should I just go to a different career? But like you said in your article again, it's like, it's going to be replacing, it's passing like the bar exam and all this stuff. Anything text-based like ChatGPT is going to know. So what can you do besides just keep on trucking and do your best, right? The reason I wanted to write this blog post was that I was starting to get questions from people who were saying things like, look, I, I really like your content. I'm trying to become a developer, but I'm worried that it takes a long time to learn web development skills. And it really seems like by the time I get to that level where I can start applying to jobs, the jobs won't even exist anymore because it'll all be robots doing it. And it just, it felt like such a shame to me that, you know, and I'm imagining, obviously every story is different and the, this is the average version that might not actually exist exactly. But I'm imagining the person who's, they've been really busting their butt trying to get comfortable with this stuff and they see it as their way to a better life for themselves. Like maybe they have a job now they don't like and they really enjoy this programming stuff they've stumbled into. But they see all this, these tweets about AI replacing their jobs and now they worry that it's just a huge waste of time and maybe you don't like your current job, but at least you don't, it's within your comfort zone. So you give up on your dream of becoming a developer and you go back to the job you don't like. And that to me just feels like such a shame. There's so much wasted potential there. <laughs> if you found this thing that you like and if you see it as a path for yourself, uh, don't let people who don't actually know what they're talking about in terms of what the future is going to hold dissuade you from exploring that because I think the odds are pretty, pretty darn good that these jobs will continue to exist. And, and one of the things I say in the blog post is I don't know how they're going to evolve. Software development is always changing and we're always having to learn new things. Maybe AI will become a really important tool in that. Uh, but yeah, it just I, I didn't like the idea that people would be taking these 
these predictions as fact and making major life decisions based on that. When in a few years, they might look back and say, wait a minute, there's still a bunch of software development jobs. And why did I stop pursuing that? So that's the that, that was the like underlying reason for that blog post. Exactly. I think it's worth noting for the listeners is when you see these AI companies making these statements, it's marketing, right? They're trying to make a startup. They want it to work. Of course, they're going to say these things. So they're successful. And it makes sense. And I can't blame them for it. But I, I would uh, encourage everyone to do their own research. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. If you're passionate about it, who cares, right? I'm a strong believer. And then if you work hard enough, success is just inevitable. So I just want to make sure I end on that note from my side. And I know you feel very, you feel the same. But yeah, I know this is just like a weird time of just, are we going to get replaced with robots? And I can definitely like empathize and see like where that angle comes from, especially for people that are breaking into the space. Yeah, I've seen this take and I appreciate this take as well. People say that like, one of the hardest parts of being a developer is like trying to intuit what people are, you know, you're working with the client and the client doesn't know what they want and you have to figure out, there's a bunch of things that are just like, they're fundamentally human skills. And that even if AI does become an important part of your development stack, there's still the entire interfacing with clients who have design requirements. And uh, I do think that there is always going to be, and fundamentally, the browser only runs JavaScript, HTML, and CSS no matter how that quote is being written, whether by a person sitting at a keyboard or an AI generating it, you still need to understand what that code is doing in order to debug it and tweak it. And there's just, there's many possible futures that we could be heading towards. And so few of them don't require developers at all. That's kind of like how I kind of sum this all up in my, in my own mind. I'm not scared of replacement. It's more just going to synergize with how I do things. To end on that note, what are you most excited about in 2023? Oh, it's a great question. One of the great privileges that I've had with my work now is just getting to work on what I feel like all the time. You know, like I make these courses, just blog posts, whatever I feel like working on is what I do. So it's a very lucky position to be in. It doesn't make for a very interesting answer, though, in that I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I am interested to see what happens with Next 13 and Remix and React server components. Like, I'm about to start work on the final module of my React course because it isn't actually out yet. I had an early access thing a couple months ago, but really I'm still finishing it up. Um, and my goal in the next few weeks is going to be to really get comfortable with these things because I've only barely started using them myself. And it's going to be really interesting to see, like we were talking about earlier, how much community adoption there is and how these patterns evolve throughout the rest of the year. So that's what I'd say I'm interested in seeing what happens. And anything you want to point our listeners to? Yeah, my blog is joshwcomo.com. My last name is C-O-M-E-A-U. You can read my blog post there. I also have a list of my courses you can check out on that site as well. Awesome. Thanks for speaking with us today, Josh. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it, Chris. Bye.